welcome episode 14 of Word to Your Mama. Today we got Mona Lisa Murray. Now some of you may know her as a DJ on Dub Lab, Motown Mondays, and stuff like that. And some of you know her from previous times as a label and prom- hip-hop labels and promotions veteran. But anyone that knows her knows her as someone that's super crazy knowledgeable of music. That's like facts. That's like from Jump. And I think of Mona Lisa as as someone when I entered this scene, the music industry, the hip-hop L.A. scene, as someone I looked up to. Someone that I saw that was doing the work, had integrity, people respected And also someone that she hasn't changed. She's someone that is always giving, always learning, always evolving. And even back in those days when I was first starting out, and you hear the story, I was first introduced to her, and I was like, who is this person? Um, I never felt like she looked down on me or anyone else. Like, I don't think there was, I've never had a sense of any ego from her. She's always grinding. She's just always down for the music. And finding more about her today, discovering more by asking her the questions of like how it all started for her. It makes all the sense in the world. So yeah, Mona Lisa Murray Let's get into it. Oh, yeah. But before I do that, she mentions what her hype song is. And then she says the name. And I was like, oh, I'm not familiar. But then I look at She was like, oh, you'll know it. You know it, but you don't know the, the name of it, the title of it. So I looked it up. I was like, oh, hell yeah. You know, it's a jam. You put that on, everyone starts dancing. And whoever told her, whoever that person was that told her that it's cliche, tripping. So let's get into it. Mona Lisa Murray. Got it. Well, Mona Lisa, I just want to say that this is big. When I was thinking about doing this as a podcast, but like I wasn't sure how I was going to do it. I made a list, right? I made a list of all the dope women that I know of. Because at first I thought it was just going to be just all, I was only going to have women on. Like I wasn't sure what the what the direction of it was going to go. But years ago, and I still have the list, I wrote like all my homegirls, people that I know. And when I wrote the list, you were definitely on the list. And I was just like, and putting like all the fucking different things that we could talk about that pertain to so many of us, right? And then I was like, when I looked at the list, I was like, I have some dope ass friends. Like I have, like, there's not one person that's not in like my tribe or that I know that, you know, even if we're not that close, you're still considered my tribe because, you know, you're a significant part of my history in LA. Mm -hmm. I was like, these motherfuckers are dope. Like everyone's dope. And I was like, I'm going to have her on. And I was like, I definitely want to have her on like right in the beginning so Mona Lisa Murray, you are here, so you know what you get. That's right, Araga, you get the dance hall. Oh. Thank you so much. Um, 
when I was like trying, you know, like I was telling you before, I was like doing an outline because I just want to have a little bit of structure, but I like to just, you know, wing it. But I have some points I do want to, you know, touch upon. I was like, this is going to be similar to Rachel. When I had Rachel on here, because we could really talk for fucking hours just on your history alone hours. So we're going to try to condense, uh, try to get to some things. But I wanted to just start off with, I was like, how do we, how do, how do you define Mona Lisa? Right. And I was like, well, right now, a lot of people, I don't know what the window was. We'll get into the timeline, know you as a DJ, but you're more than that. I feel like hip hop record label promotions veteran. Is that accurate, Mona, Lisa? That's accurate, yeah. yeah. Right? Um, I started out doing street promotion. Yeah, I started out hanging, and then I was like, you know, nobody promotes records in the club. I don't see anybody promoting any music in the club. Like, what's new, new music? Every time I asked the question, I was like, let me try to answer myself. And I tried to fit myself into that position. So um, I wanted to hear about new music. So I was like, well, let me find out how to promote new music. But then... I was told I had to be an intern. And I was like, all right, so I have to be an intern. I have to be in school, but I'm not in school. And then it, it, everything just happened piece after piece after piece. I ran into somebody who was working at a label and needed an intern. And then I did that for like five minutes. And then I ran into somebody else that needed an intern. I mean, I can tell the whole story if you want me to you know, go through the details. Um, I was hanging out at like The Good Life. You know, I was going to, going to clubs, hanging out at The Good Life. And I ran into Link. Uh, DJ Link, who was from Compton, and he worked at Relativity, and he's like, you need to be somebody's intern. And I was like, don't I have to be in school for that? He's like, no, you want to be my intern? I was like, sure. <laughs> and so then, like, literally, like, five days into that, uh, we were promoting um, the Beat Nuts, Common, uh, Fat Joe, a couple other things. And five days into that, I go to the Far Sides release party, and I run into Kedar, and Kedar is like, every time I come out here, I see you. What, what do you do? I was like... <laughs> go to clubs, work at Ticketmaster, <laughs> nothing, don't do nothing. And he's like, well, why don't you work at a record label? I said, I'd never had an opportunity. I said, I'm an intern right now for Relativity, but that took a while. And he was like, well, you can come work for me and I'll pay you. And so I went back to Link. I said, I know I just started, but this is our, <laughs> and he's offering to pay me. He was like, girl, go, go get that bread. Cause I can't make it. So if you can get the money, then go. And I was like, cool. So I started working for Kedar and I was doing retail tracking for freestyle fellowship and this other group called dirt nation that was um that was going it was signed to zoo but it was going through steve rifkin's company because they were doing promotions for it too so in doing the retail tracking for freestyle fellowship and then the dirt nation stuff i the lady that hired me for that her name is victoria claire i love her dearly and i haven't talked to her in years but hopefully maybe she's watching or somebody can tell her (laughs) i love her um anyway she was like you know what she said there's a position open at loud records because the guy that's at loud was big a b wanted to work in the field she's like the guy that's there at loud wants to work in the field so they want somebody to work in the office doing what you do he does what you do now but he wants to go to the stores and do the work he doesn't want to be stuck in the office and i was like okay so she took me to loud and i interviewed with steve and i got hired the same day and i started that next monday so it was a it was a a little little bit of a journey within the whole year of 93 it started out with me being an intern and ended up with me working at loud so I started literally like a month before uh, Enter the Wu-Tang came out. Wow. So, yeah. So so before we go into even more detail about that, I wanted to kind of go back because I was like, I don't really know this story. Like, 
You're are you you're born and raised in L.A. Yeah, I was born born in East L.A. like the movie. Um, <laughs> and my whole family, like our our whole history and heritage, is in the East L.A. in the Boyle Heights area. Ah. Um, from uh, right across from Evergreen Cemetery. All of our families lived on those blocks. There's Michigan Avenue. There's New Jersey Street. There's um, Saratoga. There's um, Savannah. Like all those streets over there is where my family grew up. And then my grandfather bought, uh, bought a house. Uh, he actually had a house built in uh, City Terrace up on top of a hill. Mm. And that's where the, my family moved up there. And they, that's where they all, every, all the kids were raised and the grandkids and all of us were raised in that house. But it all started right there uh, across the street from Evergreen Cemetery. So um, I grew up there, but I ended up getting bussed out to the valley. So I spent my junior high and high school years out in the valley. But my elementary school, my younger years, I was schooled in East L.A. So born and raised in L.A. In you, yeah, but you were born and raised in L.A. So as a kid, like I'm trying to picture the scene as a kid, Mona Lisa as a kid. What were you exposed to musically? How, what was the like the root of you being hella into music and the way you are you retrain we'll get into that later but how you retain so much information about music <laughs> you're a fucking encyclopedia of shit <laughs> well it goes back to my family because with my family everybody in my family had huge record collections mm. so my uncle I, my uncle howard he's my favorite uncle sorry other uncles sorry <laughs> um you lost. <laughs> he, he had a massive, well, he had a massive record collection, but I found out later is because I had another uncle that passed away when I was six months old and mm. both of their record collections were merged into one. So he had all these records. And so he'd always, you know, let us play downstairs in his room because his, my uncles had a room downstairs in the house. My grandfather built, they lived, my uncles lived downstairs. And then my mom was upstairs with my, with my grand, my grandparents. And so when we played downstairs in his room, it was like a, uh, it was like another house downstairs. It was a living room with a little like hallway and a bathroom and, and a bedroom with two, two bunks in it. Actually, there was three bunks in it. And he'd always say, don't go in my room. Don't touch my records. Don't go in my room. Don't touch my records. <laughs> so of course, what do kids do? We go, go in the, in the room, room and touch, touch the records. <laughs> so, so my thing was always looking at the album covers. And so I would look through and I, you know, certain album covers stood out, like the album cover for Judas Priest, British Steel with the razor blades. Yeah, that stood out. Um, the uh, Frank Zappa weird ass Frank Zappa <laughs> covers with the cartoons and the just the weirdo like, like, what the hell is this? The uh, cat what's his name? Uh, Captain Beefheart, the trout mask replica with the fish on his face. Like all that stuff stood out to me. Like, what the hell? Like, what is like? I just thought it was so fascinating because the covers look so fucking strange. I'm like, what is this? So. Then my grandfather, on the other hand, my grandfather had all jazz records. So I go through his records. And then when he would play jazz, the difference was when he would play jazz, jazz was so busy, I didn't get it because I was used to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. I wasn't used to. <laughs> I was like, but I don't like this because it doesn't have a beat. Like I can't dance to it. Like I was one of those kids that was that grew up in, like doing gymnastics and dancing. So if I couldn't dance to it, I couldn't relate to it. I was like. Okay, that's too busy for me. It's too much going on. I can't. I'm not into that. But my uncle Howard, he had um, all kind of stuff from, you know, like I said, all the names I, I named. And then he had like Blue Oyster Cult. He had Jethro Tull. He had, um, but then he also had Miles Davis. He had Roy Ayers. He had Donald Byrd. He had all kind of stuff. Parliament Funkadelic. And so when in getting into his records, I found out that there was different kinds of jazz, but that goes into 
more of their stuff. So my other uncle had records. Everybody had records. So I'd always look through their records and look at the covers just to see what, you know, what was going on in each thing. And I'd always read the covers and read the back and read the lyrics. And I was just into like absorbing all of that stuff. And it just fascinated me all the time. So whenever I go to a relative's house, I'd always look through their records and see what records they had to try to figure out what their taste was. And nobody, I mean, so there was a couple records in common, but nobody really had the same taste. Like my yeah. sister was into like a lot of like Elton John and Fleetwood Mac and Pat Benatar. And um, she even liked Barry Manilow, which got me into Barry Manilow. Um, and then <laughs> my other Manilow. uncle, my other uncle was into um, like Eddie Money and Van Halen, because he was in a group that used to open her Van Halen oh, um, no when they way. used to play. They used to be Mammoth, um, and they used to play at Gazari. So him and my cousins had a band called The Warriors, and they used to do shows with different people in East L.A. and around the scene. They used to play at the Paramount on um, on Cesar Chavez, Brooklyn Avenue. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so, so they were big Van Halen fans. So anything like in that whole era, in that whole um, Van, Hera, Van Halen um situation like anything around that they absorbed all that music um so he was into like you know that stuff like the classic rock kind of stuff the led zeppelin and all that stuff um and then my mom she grew up on motown and then um my aunts they were into philly soul and so it was just all different smorgasbord but everybody had their own thing that they were into it wasn't like yeah you know it was common. like certain things of course were common and 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 everybody was into but everybody had their specific thing that they liked yeah, so that's, that's amazing. So, so you, so you had like you were exposed to e literally everything, all genres, yeah. all different types, and then you had the people there that loved it so much that you could. T but you know what? Let me go back because that makes all the sense in the whole fucking wide world. Of it started that young. I was like, there. Ha I was like, I'm gonna ask her. There has to be a root because I was trying to think of when I met you, and this is what I remember. I was an intern for Frank Sosa. For the Unbound Project Volume 1, right? And so he gave me a list. I remember he sat me up in in a corner of his uh, a Silver Lake place. And he was like, here's a computer. You're going to call these people, all these DJs. There's some DJs, but there's also some tastemakers. And I was like, "What? I'm new to the shit, right? I was like, what's a tastemaker? He's like, oh, you know, people that are influential, da-da-da-da-da-da. That, you know, when you have a project, they always need to know about it, da-da-da-da. So I got this whole list and it was like an email list and all this stuff. And I was like, how do I was like one of one, maybe two or three female doing it at the time. And I was like, how do I stand out? And I remember I would send out the email and at this time I was still going by my, my government name and I would put at the bottom. Do you remember this? I put at the bottom like a hip hop question, like something like who was, I don't know what I put. But I put like just a simple question, but like whoever answered it, just like for props, like some engagement back in the days. Kids, we did not have Instagram or any social media. So this was my engagement, like trying to engage motherfuckers <laughs> to like email me back because I was new on the block and like, you know, just to make it fun for people and stuff. So everyone's like some people would engage, but the people engage will just be like, I'll ask a question like, who did the who came out with the song and blah, 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 blah. Everyone would just answer whatever the question was. This bitch would answer with the whole fucking <laughs> dissertation. She'd be like, oh, that such and such came out in 19, da, 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 produced by da, da, da. And I was like, who? I was like, yo, Frank, who is this? Who is Mona Lisa? <laughs> like, she's amazing, right? And he was like, you know, putting me up on game. And I was like, I was like oh, and then I, I also would be, you know, going out to the hip hop spots back then. And there was only a few... We knew we could see point each other out because there weren't that many 
females going to like the like the big you know the uh the bigger b joints and and the stuff like yeah. that like there's only a few of us so i'd be like oh and then i find i don't know and then i don't know we just started talking i have no idea but i remember my first impression was like yo who is she how does she know all this shit and boom you just proved that's the root you've been looking at liner just- notes from jump <laughs> <laughs> I did a um a thing with the Beat Junkies uh school about a year and a half ago where they came to Amoeba and they were looking around, you know, doing digging or whatever. And I told them, I said, one of the most important things you can do as a digger is read the liner notes. Because if you like a song and you like the drums, you can find out who that drummer was and you can find out what else he drummed on, and then you can get that whole collection of that sound that you that you like. Or if you if you like a whole album and you want to see who the producer is, then you go find out whatever that producer did and you can go get all his records. But it's just a matter of, you know, yeah. following a trail that, 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 you know, that, that hits you, you know, like whatever sound you like, you can chase that sound just by reading the liner notes and learning, educating yourself about where those sounds come from. Exactly. And then you, and then you start kind of seeing a trend too, like, Oh, I like this. And then you go to something else and you read the liners like, Oh, produced by the same motherfucker. Like, that's why. Because he mm-hmm. did it like you see the similarities and then you start noticing names. And then you like since you've been reading him since Jump, you know, like you could most deaf go on like Questlove Supreme and nerd out with all those fools because they know like extreme shit just like you, like rare shit. Like, was that such and such and such and such? You're just like, what? How do you know that shit? Like amazing. And I'm thinking I'm like a music freak, but you're next level. And I feel like. That's what's missing now, right? Like I get irritated when something new comes out uh, online, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. how, how do I, who, who produced this? How do I get to that? So I have to look yeah. someplace else to try to find the fucking liner notes to something that just came out. <laughs> Your industry is loud and congested. How will you cut through the noise while maintaining brand integrity? Regardless of how talented and creative your core team is, nearly all businesses need some level of support in order to communicate their message. From identity to experiential to digital, let Doyen Sharp help you speak your mind and translate rough thoughts into captivating action. Visit DoyenSharp.com today. That's D-O-Y-E-N-S-H-A-R-P.com. Mention WTYM and get 10% off your first project. Doing Sharp. Cut through. Yeah, that's the thing that sucks about MP3s is that there's no more, there's no more liner notes. There's no more reading. And because you feel like you're learning, like you're making the record kind of a part of you because you're educated. It's just like reading a book. It's like yeah. once you read that book, that book is in you. It's like once you read the liner notes, it's like you feel like not a part of it, but you know, you feel more at one with it because you can see how yeah. it was put together. But yeah. it's like just listening to it and being like, okay, what am I listening? Like on a sidebar, one of my friends hit me the other day. He said, I have a question for you. And I was like, what? He said, how come music doesn't sound like it used to? And I said, it doesn't hit the same because it's not personal anymore. It's not, it's not inside of you anymore. It's just, it's coming at you, but it's not in you anymore. Yeah. Like certain things still get in you. Like that's why I love still buying records because when you buy the records, you can feel it, you can touch it and you feel like you're connecting with it. But it's like, if something's just coming at you, it's like, okay, it sounds good, but it's still not hitting me here. Yeah. It's hitting me here, but it's not hitting me here. And it's because of that disconnect. 
Yeah, and it's one thing too to to hear something on vinyl because you hear you actually literally hear the physicality of like the grooves and everything. So it adds another right. dimension. And now, you know, with how everything's digitized, everything's coming at you is too perfect. It's like too too produced, too perfect. And I and I like when someone's going back to older instruments and older, you know, uh, recording methods. And you're just like, okay, that is like bringing the soul back in. And especially, I mean, this is December 4th. We're, we're heading at the end of a trash year. We're going to go into another year that we're going to be stuck inside. Like I need, I, how do, how do I feel it? (laughs) You know, at least let me read the liner notes. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, don't make me have to search. Like, I'm just like, especially for minimum hip hop shit. Because we want to know who produced every single fucking track. Who are the get? Like right. sometimes, like I also get upset because, you know, digit like streaming, like I don't know who was it recently came out. And I was like, there's a guest person on here, but you don't put it on the list as a guest person. So now I got to look I go, I think that's homegirl. But, you know, it's like stuff like that. So not even people are getting enough shine. Like you have to be a bigger name to even be listed as guest, you know. <clears throat> also right. such as such 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 whatever but yeah liner notes man every time i think of liner notes i think of you also before we go on i usually like to do questions from the audience later but this is very significant at this time because you just told us the kind of beginning of your entry into music industry so that's 1993 right you said around that time so yeah around 93 yeah one question i do have from the audience is Ask her how she felt when Nappy Head's remix came out by the Fugees. And this question is by none other than B Plus, a.k.a. Brian Cross. <laughs> well, I was honestly at first, well, you know, that's a remix. So the, yes. when the original version came out, I didn't like it. I was like, it's, it was boring to me. The Fugees, the Fugees were boring to me when I first heard them. I was just like, uh, uh, you know, I, I couldn't get into them. But when that remix came out, I liked it. Until the onslaught of Melissa, can I get a date on Friday? And then I was like, I hate the song. I hate the song. I still, to this day, like, it annoys me. Like, if I hear it without the beginning, I can get into it. But if I hear the, the hook, it just it just annoys the hell out of me. But it's just because people wore it out. And I'm like, and I would, I would go on a rant every time somebody would do it. I'd say, listen, because my name is Mona Lisa... I have done extensive research on the name and the musical history of Mona Lisa. And there are at least 131 versions of songs that have something to do with Mona Lisa. Could you please sing something else besides Slick Rick or the Fugees? And some right. people got creative. They did a little digging and they found the other songs that would sing them to me. And I'm like, you get points for that. So do they do yeah. Nat King Cole, the Nat King Cole one? Yeah. Well, the Nat King Cole is the other one that kind of kind of burns me up. But when people actually know how to say all the words, I'm like, okay, you did your homework. I'm impressed. Or, you know music because you went in, you know. And then there's uh, Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's by Elton John. There's a Mona Lisa. I forgot the, the Mona Lisa song by Leon Russell, but there's a Mona Lisa song by Leon Russell. Um, James Brown did a version of Mona Lisa. That's amazing. I'll have to hear um, that one. There's quite a few. Yeah, there's quite a few. But but yeah, there's a song called Ramona. My My actual government name is Ramona. So there's another song on Motown about Ramona that somebody gave me a 45 of because they're like, well, it's not Mona. I said, it actually is. Like, yeah. So, <laughs> you didn't know, but it's for right. reals. Um, yeah, because yeah. I cannot think of you or say your name. And the Supernatural Bear, uh, he knows that song because 
When we went to, remember a long time ago, he was like, I don't know, two or three. We went to go see you spin downtown somewhere. And he, he was like, where are we going? And I was like, we're going to go see your your auntie, Mona Lisa. And then I was like singing him the song. So he'd known that, that since Jump. He's like known it since Jump. And I'm sure everyone, when they think of you, they think of that. So yeah, I wanted to ask you that early on. Um, well, okay, now so- see, if he's saying it to me, if he's saying it to me, I'd appreciate it. But everybody else, I'm like, <laughs> Anyone <"Stop."> over eight, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do yeah, it. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, so going back. So so now, so now we get the root of your exposure, your like music university since jump since a kid, um, born and raised in LA. Now we jump back into your, in the music, you're working for loud records. I want to know, as we discussed earlier, and I've discussed in probably in so many future podcasts, being a female, a female, um, a woman, excuse me, a woman, a woman of color, in the music industry and then go back down into hip hop life, like rap life. How was that for you then? And then has anything changed in all of these years? Cause I think that's an important question too. Um, back then it was, it was interesting. Well, I'd say this <laughs> when I first got to loud, well, first of all, I met Bigger B um, at a video shoot, the video shoot for hot potato by a freestyle fellowship. And he was passing out flyers for Unity, as usual. And Unity. he just kind of blew me off, like, oh, yeah, hi, whatever. Here's a flyer for my show. Come to my show. And I'm like, I come to your shows all the time. You don't know my face? <laughs> and that's when I actually got to talk to him. But I used to see him all the time. I just actually introduced myself to him. I said, I love your parties, and I'm coming. He's like, okay, good. I'll see you there. You know, But he was very, like, busy and in the, in the moment or whatever. I was like, all right. So um, when I kept seeing, I kept seeing him around or whatever, and he knew my face, but he didn't really know me. He just knew me from that introduction. So when I came to the office and um, Steve was like, yeah, this is the person that's going to replace you. And he was like, it's a girl. Like first he was like, it's a, <laughs> like he was just kind of annoyed that it was a woman. And I was like, OK, this is going to be crazy. But I was like, well, at least we don't have to work side by side. We, we were doing the same thing. So we had to bounce off of each other, but we weren't sitting at a desk next to each mm. other. That would have been crazy. So um, at first it was a little bit tense because he was very, he had had a lot of problems. Like I think him and Carmelita used to work together mm. and they were like neck and neck because Carmelita's a, a boss and he was trying to be a boss right. and it was just, you know, <laughs> button heads and they just weren't, you know, it wasn't happening. You know, I mean, they, it, it was love hate. It's like, I think during that time they had had some kind of issue or whatever. So they were on the downside. So he was just like, Oh, here comes another girl to try to boss me around. And I'm like, bro, I'm just <laughs> like, I don't know what the hell happened before I got here, but please, like, I was just being real, like, you know, and people had warned me, they're like, he doesn't really work well with women because of experiences he's had. So just be, and I was just very like, so our bonding point came when, um, I mean, we had kind of learned to get along a little bit, but our bonding point came when he was trying to get black moon here for unit for unity. So he comes over to me and he goes, um, I need to ask you for help with something. And I was like, what? <laughs> Looking behind you. <laughs> this is weird. Right? <laughs> Comes and he sits me down. And he says, he says, so, cause he could see, like, I was really good at doing memos. I was really good at like computer stuff. And, you know, I was just a, a nerd like that. I was really good at, at typing letters and, and doing like fax covers. And like, I would do my fax campaigns on, on paper and fax them out and stuff like that. So he could see that I was doing that. So he's like, there's this group on the East coast called black moon and they're really dope. I was like, I think we heard, 
at that time we had heard a couple of their underground demos or whatever. And he's like, and I want to bring them out here for unity, but I need to write the label letter. He's like, I'm not really good at writing letters. He's like, so I was wondering if you could help me. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll just, I'll do it. And then I'll show it to you. You tell me if it's what you want to say. And I put the letter together and he was just like, wow, thank you. And I was like, you're welcome. I said, good luck and walked away. Like <laughs> he sent the letter off and they responded like within the same day and they hooked everything up. So he got, nice. because of the letter, that he got Black Moon to come out here. And because Black Moon came out here, Smith & Wesson came out here. And because Smith & Wesson came out here, OGC came out here, et cetera, et cetera. So they were able to build a foundation on the West Coast because of him wanting to bring them here. And they, I think, I, I mean, I'm not going to say they have a bigger following here than they did, than they do on the East Coast, but they have a pretty huge following here. And I think it's yeah. because of all the foundation that he laid down. So shout out to Bigger B again. But that was some of the tension in the beginning. And then working in the office was tough because all the guys got to do all the heavy stuff. And then all the girls, we were kind of like, you know, supposed to stay in, make the phone calls and, you know, mm. do the office work. And then the guys got to go out and fly and travel to the conventions and all that stuff. So I wasn't, because I wasn't able to go to the conventions. I mean, I had my relationships with people on the phone, but I wasn't, you know, really like given the freedom. And so me and Search became good friends. Um, I think Fuzzy introduced me to Search and me and him became good friends. And he's like, you know, he's like, I like your hustle. I like your street thing. I like whatever. He's like, are you going to Gavin? And I was like, no. He's like, why? I said, because I, was, I wasn't offered. He's like, I'll fly you up there. And so he, no, as a matter of fact, no, he, I actually end up, ended up getting to go to Gavin, but I went in the car and then he met me there and took me around and showed me the people. And he ended up flying me back to LA. He flew one of nice. my friends up there that I would have somebody to hang out with. And oh, then nice. he flew us to LA. And so that was, that kind of ruffled some feathers. <laughs> but, uh, oh, okay. You're trying to steal my, my, my worker. So at the end of the day, I ended up going to work for search at wild pitch uh, at the end of 94. I left uh, loud and went over there because I felt unappreciated as a woman. Um, there were some incidences where I was accused of being a groupie because I was uh, so familiar with everybody uh, and I was so friendly or whatever. There was like, I braided hair for a living. So I was recruited to braid several hairs in the Wu-Tang camp and there was rumors being spread about me having something to do with old dirty bastard and have something to do with. <laughs> and I'm like, can I get mad, man? Like, why, why am I getting everybody else? Like, give me mad. Okay, that at least. I would be like, all right, I would hey, okay. But no, I mean, I was accused of so many different things and I was just like, I'm just here trying to make a living and trying to make my name in this industry. And this right out the gate, I'm already being accused of stuff. And I was just like, I just was fed up with it. So that was why I left. I mean, I kind of wish I hadn't left, but if I hadn't left, I wouldn't have had all the opportunities I had. So, right. you know, it happened for a reason. But Loud sure. was in the very beginning stages. They had just opened their East Coast office in the summer of 94. And Wu-Tang was like skyrocketing. So they were about to blow up. And um, yeah, I just felt like, you know what, I need to I need to go where I'm appreciated. So Search took me over to Wild Pitch and I was the female... Um, west coast coordinator so i was i mean i was the only person here on the west coast but it was all mine nice. so i was responsible for everything up in the bay all the way down to san diego for for a wild pitch but what i didn't know was that wild pitch had lost their distribution mm -hmm. so he was trying to resurrect everything and and just build as much up until you know hopefully in the hopes that someone would pick it up and carry it on after that based on the activity but it didn't happen like that so at the end of May, um, Wild Pitch closed. I was basically there from January to May. So I got to reign queen supreme for that for that <laughs> moment. 
But then I went to Immortal. I went over to Immortal Records, and Immortal Records was putting together something you're very familiar with. Um, <laughs> um, so I went to go work there. Um, and I went there because everybody there was uh, that I consider brothers, that people that would consider my opinion, that would not treat me like a girl. They would treat me like a co-worker and a, and a peer. And that's yeah. exactly what happened. And we had a great time there. I worked with Sean B. I worked with John Stockton. I worked with Dave Miller, worked with James Andrews. Um, and they also were doing the bus tone thing. And so they were managing uh, Cypress Hill and House of Pain. But working at, on that project was such a wonderful experience because it was organic hip hop. And we all had to bounce off each other and have some great ideas. The label didn't put any money into the project, so mm. it didn't really fly. But, but I mean, all these years later, people that do know about it know that every single artist on there, save maybe like one or two people, ended up blowing up into a bigger entity. Dilated Peoples is a big example of that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, um, that was the one place where I felt like I was treated equally, like as as a peer, and not oh, that's the girl. Let's let's leave her in the kitchen, or let's have her do the little secretarial right. stuff and whatnot so um then um carmelita hired me to work at delicious vinyl and that was great because you know working with her you know i felt female wise that you know we looked out for each other and that i was you know again i was a peer but um during that time was when my street promotion career started mm-hmm. and um again my whole thing in the beginning was i wanted to if i couldn't find music myself i wanted to you know to be able to know how to find it. Like I wanted to have some way to get it. So I started reaching out to some East coast labels to get some, um, some promotional work. And so I was the, I, I mean, just no egos in this, but I was <laughs> the first female I would say to do street promotion at that level. There nice. were other people that came along, um, during that time that came after me, but I think I was the first person doing it at that level. Um, I had my own company. I started my own company after Wild Pitch folded, um, before I got to Immortal, and um, I was doing pretty heavy work. I was uh, doing the retail stores. I would put the displays up in the retail stores, and you know, do the servicing there. And then I would go to the clubs and put displays in the clubs and make sure the DJs had all the records from the labels. And I was doing that. I did that for that's that was ninety five. I did that for ten years about 10 years and then I then I gave it up because after about 10 years it got to be really ruthless a lot of the 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 guys on the street were wondering how I got the accounts like you know who she's sleeping with and I'm like no every fucking time who is she sleeping with she must be sleeping with like every single time yeah it was it was it was pretty ugly at some points I mean I'm not going to get into the, the the details of it but it got it got pretty ugly but um yeah um but I was one of the first females to do that. A lot of girls came up after me and a lot of girls were killing it. So it was, it was good to see like girls stepping up and doing it, you know, and there wasn't too many people that were, you know, using their assets to promote stuff. You know, most of us were just using our brains and our, you know, our hands and feet, but you know, some people put it out there. So that was that, but yeah. It was a um, shift, right? Like I, I feel like there was that shift. Like I remember when, when I first came into the scene and then I started Figure, you know, because I'm not born and raised either from from LA. I'm from San Diego, but when I came up here after I graduated and I started interning and then I started working in the music industry, I was just a I was living in Long Beach and I'd drive up and I'd go to the Unities and I'd go to all the stuff and there was like I said, it was only a few of us in there, only a few women in there, but it was like we were 
you could you like you could dress and do whatever the fuck you want. But at that time, it was like we were just true like real hip hop heads there for the music. We weren't trying. I was for me and 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 the 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 other women that I saw, the few that were in there, it was just like I I sometimes look like a dude. <laughs> I'd have the hoodie and the the baggy pants and the you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and my hair up and shit. And it was just kind of like, and so I was like, okay, there's only other couple of females here, but I could see that they're like real fans too. And then all of a sudden it was like, I don't know, two, or like early 2000s or something. And then it was like, who, what the high heels? What? <laughs> yeah. What is happening? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I purposely, I purposely dressed down in the early nineties because I wanted to be taken seriously. Like I didn't exactly. have anything showing or anything like, I mean, exactly. I, mean I had a little makeup and nails or whatever, but like, as far as my, my, my figure, like I kept that under baggy clothes so I could be like, look, I'm just here to do this work. I'm not here to flirt with you. I'm not here to, you know, get yeah. anything out of you. I'm just here to do my work and, and show and prove and, 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 you know, and, and go back, you know? So, but it was a trip. It was, it was a real trip. But I, I, the, the best part about it is that I got a lot of respect across the country because I would go to music conventions and I would talk to people and they would just hear me talk and, and, you know, hear good things from people that were out here that saw the work I did. And so I got work from going out there and getting the work. You know, I go, yeah. like I said, to the conventions and I talk to people and I talk to other people, have lunches with people. There was one time where I, I did some some stuff on the side, nothing illegal, but I ended up <laughs> going to jail in Mexico over some, <laughs> some drama. And I had to sue. We had to sue uh, Z90 because of the incident. So Z90, we got a settlement. So I got a whole bunch of money. Nice. So I got a whole bunch of money. And I was like, ooh, I said, Gavin is in a couple months. I know exactly what I'm going to do. So I took a whole rack of money and went up to Gavin and just bought everybody lunch. Like all the people that I wanted to get accounts from, I was like, here, here, lunch is on me. Dinner is on me. Like I was throwing money around because I was like, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get these accounts. And so sure enough, you know, me doing that, you know, it, it got people to pay attention. They're like, OK, she's out there doing it, even though I didn't get that money from Supermotion. I got that money from somewhere else. But I spent the money in the right place. And it got the attention. So once like, okay, now that I got your attention, let me talk to you about I can do what I can do and let me show you what I can do. And I got my stuff together and I sent proposals out and I, you know, did everything, but yeah. I did all the work. I put it together and just to have people accuse me of just, you know, sleeping with people to try to get accounts. And I was like, come on, like y'all know me. Like, why would you say that about me? It just exactly. It was pretty hurtful. So, so um, for for the people like the music has changed significantly since the times we're talking about right now. But back in those days, there was like a lot of conventions. There was Gavin that was up north. Well, that was in the Bay. Um, and then is CMJ still happening? That's more college, no. but yeah, that was more college. But no, CMJ hasn't been happening in, in a while. It's been yeah, a while, like there yeah. was all these different. So Gavin's been gone for a while. Yeah, there was Impact. There Impact. was um, there was Jack the Rapper. There was um, New York New Music Seminar. There was How Can I Be Down. There was um, what else? Um, there was Urban Network. Oh yes. Um, and then I remember Timbisa. Shout out to Timbisa. Timbisa had she was at the Gavin and she had this thing in Oakland called Oakland Sessions. Um, I think it was 1996. I think it was. It was either 95 or 96. It was one of those two years. Um, but she had Oakland sessions and it was just a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday convention. And she just put all this stuff together. And it was so fun because it wasn't overrun with people. It yeah. was like, just like, it was like, I want to say maybe like a couple hundred people, maybe like, and, and it was just, it was cool because everybody could, 
get they could network a little bit better and and we could you know the camaraderie yeah. was there like there's only a few of us there so like everybody that went we all linked up immediately because we already knew each other so it was like it was easy to maneuver and then plus we made some new friends and it was real cool but that was one of the ones that was smaller but it was dope um and she put it together herself um that's awesome and then um let's see gavin impact and there was bre too there's bre bre didn't didn't i don't think they did it every year and it didn't last very long but yeah, all of those are great opportunities to network and, you know, to get to know people. Because it was about rela- relationships, right? Because it was like, yeah. and and also what people don't understand is that at this time, with, like labels, the bigger labels, they had money. It was the heyday. Like I remember I got, I flew, I got, I think they flew me out to New York for CMJ. And then like all the people, like I didn't have to pay for shit taxi cabs hotels like everything was on the card boom and i was and that was like the last last or second to last year <laughs> that was over i was like oh i got to feel it taste it a little bit you know yeah, but these were, a little bit yeah a no. little bit you know and then and then it, it, everything started changing but like going back to your point of i did the same thing and i dressed the same way because of that and I've mm-hmm. talked about it, too, where people are just like, yo, just be careful. You're a girl. You're a female. You're a woman out here. It's going to be like they're all going to think certain things. So, like, don't give them any reason. Like, it sucks that we had to do that. But, like, I was like, you know, and even like I've said it before, like even even dating, you know, he's my husband now. But back then, like a group of people didn't know because I was like, man, if they know it's it's going to even run even wilder. People are going to be like, oh, she got this because of this and this. And I was like, told them, I was like, put them to the side. And I was like, I don't want anyone to know that we're dating. So people were introducing us and I'll be like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> but we've been dating because I was like, I don't want none of the smoke. I don't want no one to think that. But even just on the strength of people not seeing you, because back then when you would call, when I would call DJs and stuff, it was on the phone, strictly on the phone. And they'd hear me and they'd be like, ooh, what do you look like? How you looking? Like, are you single? And I was like, and I tell them, I was like, this is incorrect now because it's intersex. But I tell them, I'll be like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm a woman. I was like, um, yeah, and I got a two inch dick. So what about it? What? So let's talk about these like <laughs> these records now. Like, you know what I'm saying? They're like, oh, shit. Like, turn them off hella quick. But it's like that type of shit. Like, you had to like dress down. Um you know, not show your shape, be, be aware of like the perception of it. Even, even that, right. Like, even, like you said, even doing the most of trying not to be seen that way, it doesn't matter because motherfuckers get upset because they're hating on you because you're doing so well. And then they'll be like, Oh, she fucking somebody. I mean, the levels were so, it was so deep that like, I didn't even appreciate LA anymore because I mean, I did, don't get me wrong. I love my city, but we're <laughs> working here. Like I, I, I wanted to figure out a way that I could work in New York once a week and then come back here for three weeks because mm. at least being somewhere else, I didn't have all the, all the stuff. I mean, it's either, Oh, she's sleeping with everybody or, Oh, she dresses like a boy. Cause she's gay. Oh, it's like, well, why are you trying to figure out my life? Like, why not just ask me? If you ask me, I will tell you, like, what I will tell you anything you want to know. But the rumors were killing me. The rumors were just killing me. I was just like, I just can't deal with you guys anymore. So it just made me, like, want to be somewhere else. And it made me not really, like, you know, it was like I was here in theory. Like, okay, I'm here working, but my mind is in New York. My mind is in Atlanta. My mind is in Chicago. Like, my mind is somewhere else. And all the people that I talked to on the phone, the DJs, and even like other street promoters had respect for me because they could hear me talk and they'd 
if I was on a conference call and they, they got to my city, like, okay, what's going on in LA? I would run everything down piece by piece and section by section. And some people's cities, they'd be like, what's going on in your city? It's like, oh, it's chill. You know, we, we did our, we did the thing. We did the thing, you know, <laughs> we put it out and we threw it out there and it was just bam. And then bam. And then the DJ was like, whoa. And then the, it's like, but what are you saying? Like, what? And I would, I would break it down. Like, you know, the record is, 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 getting good feedback and I have to go back to this DJ because he wasn't feeling it. So I'm going to try the remix. And then I went to the record store and they needed a clean version. So once I get the clean version, I'll go back and revisit that, you know, and I was breaking it down to where it's like, I want to keep this job. So I want them to understand, you know, I want them to understand exactly what's going on with this record. I'm not trying to sell them a dream, you know, and because of the way I conducted myself on on the conference calls and on the phone, that got me the respect from the other street promoters. And then the DJs that I always dealt with, like, if they told me, I'd be like, look, if you don't like this record, tell me. Like, don't just play it because yeah. I'm asking you to play it. Yeah. If you don't like it, then tell me you don't like it, and I'll try to figure something else out. Maybe you can play the instrumental. Maybe you can take the yeah. acapella. You can remix it and play play your own remix at your own city. Like, figure out how it works for you, but don't do it because you feel like you, you have to do it for me or because you feel like I'm pressuring you. Make it work for you. And they're like, you know, I like the way you think. And, the, you know, and I just would get compliments yeah. because... I work around instead of me being like, oh, dog, come on, man. Like my boss will come down on me if you don't play this for me. Like, oh, man, like I never did that. I was like, look, if it doesn't work for you, let's work together and figure out how it works. So I got a lot of respect from the DJs then. It's DJs that I used to send records to back then that I still speak to this day that are like, I check on their kids. I check on their family. Like I know their parents. Like Because we, we built those relationships back then. And it was just based on me being me and not because of what I look like or, you know, or or any of that stuff. So. Or, or I, you know, did, were you like, did you ever give them things? Because I know when I was when I was leaving out of that scene, I was like, I couldn't compete with, with you know, DJ saying, well, what are you going to give me? I'll be like, what do you mean? They're like, well, I got some kicks over here by this is such a such label or this person. Like, did you have to compete with that? Or did were you the ever the person that gave him shit to? No, I, I, I usually, because the labels I dealt with, most of the labels I dealt with didn't have that kind of, leverage and if they did there was somebody else doing that like when i was at loud i didn't deal with the djs that were on that level they were like well what can you do for me those are the 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 people that were dealing with the mix show djs and i was just dealing with the club djs like the club djs we didn't need to pay nobody in the club you know it wasn't that good (laughs) but um there was a couple of djs that did that did do that that were like well i I, i'm not gonna play your records unless you break me off with i'm like okay well then we have nothing more to talk about right because I knew somebody else on the upper level would, would reach out to that person. I'm like, okay, I'm just small, you know, small change over here, but so-and-so at RCA with the bank account and the, and the, <laughs> the expense with the American express card, they can holler at you and they can get you straight. That me, Alex. I can't do that. So I'm just right. going, I'm going to shut this down while we're talking because I can't do that for you. And that was it. But I've never had to do that. So, so being in the music industry for some, it's since jump, Cause I know how long, cause you're, a, you're known as a DJ now. How long were you spinning since back in the days, but you didn't spin in public or how did that evolution go down? <clears throat> okay. So that started way back in 1991, 1991. I used to, hang, you know, like I said, I used to hang out in the clubs all the time and I met Vicious Lee and Vicious Lee was a mobile DJ. He still is to this day. Shout out to Vicious Lee. Um, he was a mobile DJ and I used to hang out at his house all the time. And so I never wanted to be at home because home was, was very confining and I wanted to be out. Like I was always one of those kids that was never allowed to go nowhere. Like I wasn't allowed to hang out after school or go to parties at night. So I used to sneak out. I'd say I'd sleep in at so-and-so's house and then we go to the, 
to the <laughs> Ukraine or go wherever, you know, go hang out. So um, I was always at his house during the day and then I would go back home when, when my mom came home. So I'd hang out at his house and I would watch him DJ. And so one day I remember he was playing, um, he, was, he was practicing a set, Sensitivity by Ralph Tresvant. And I started singing That's the Way Love Goes. And he looks and he goes, wow. He goes, you should start DJing. And I was like, I don't want all of this. Because <laughs> he had, he was the kind of say that, you know, he was, he was, he was, he, was, he was and is still great at what he does. But he, he had the speakers, he had the table, he had the, 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 the big and the, and the, you know, 17 crates. And I was I don't know, I have a truck. I don't have the manpower. <laughs> I don't have like, I don't want to have a time. I do think I don't want to like I didn't want, I didn't want the burden of responsibility. He's like, well, if you ever decide to, let me know. I'll teach you. And I was like, well, I'm already learning from watching you. You know, just watching how you blend the songs together. I can hear the tempos and I can hear. The and he was like, yeah. He's like, you'd be a great DJ. It's not a lot of girls doing it. I was like, I know, but I'm. I don't. I don't want all this responsibility. I was too. I was young and free at the time. I was like, I don't. <laughs> if I were to try to bring all these records to my house, my mother would kick me out. And I was like, it's not. So two years after that. um, Hanging out at the Good Life. Um, after the Good Life, we used to go to the Farside Manor. We called it the Afterlife. So <laughs> Farside would open the house up and let everybody from the Good Life come over, and it ended up being a legendary place. And B Plus has plenty of pictures of it, legendary pictures of it. But yeah, so one night after the Afterlife, everybody left, and Mark Love was kind of playing around on the turntables. And I walked over and I said, "You know," I said, "I watched uh, Vicious do this at his house a whole bunch of times, but I never asked him like how." does it work? Like, how does, how does it work? And he's like, well, you have one to eight count and you usually drop it on the one and then you can scratch. And he showed me how to scratch phrases. And so I was doing uh cutting back and forth with Chi Ali's uh, lemonade, funky lemonade. <laughs> and I was doing lemonade was a popular drink and it still is. And I kept going back and forth with lemonade was popular drink and it still is. <laughs> and I remember somebody from the far side yelling on the stairs like, Hey, yo, I know lemonade is a popular drink and it still is, but play something else. You <laughs> start cracking up. But yeah. So we went into some, other, I think we did Dwick after that and a couple other records, but that was how I learned how to blend two records together and how to, you know, how to count and everything like that. I mean, Vicious had taught me a lot too, but I didn't do the hands-on. I did a little bit of hands-on, but it wasn't that serious. Like I was really intrigued by what Mark was doing, but it was still again, like, okay, well that was cool. So in the years following that, I would just go to people's houses and if they had turntables, I would just mess around. I'd practice scratching. And they'd be like, you know how to DJ? And I'm like, no, I do, but I don't. Like, I, I'm just playing around. Like, I, I, you know, Mark showed me something, but I'm just playing around. So here and there, you know, but every time I did it, people would say, wow, you should DJ. And I'm like, no, I don't want all this. I don't want all these records. I don't want all this stuff. I can't have it in my house. I'm not, not going to do it. It was just mostly like I was intimidated by coming home and saying, mom, I'm going to start DJing and I'm going to be bringing all this stuff in the house. And she, her saying no. So I was like, no. So I remember that once I moved out of my mom's house and I moved to, um, well, I moved to a couple places, but I lived in LA and I lived on uh, Adams and La Brea and um, Truly Odd and DJ Jam had a house up the hill, up the street. And it was like six of them that lived in there. I can't remember who else lived in there, but it was like five or six people that lived in the house. And I used to go over their house all the time. We used to go over there, smoke, hang out, chill or whatever. And Truly Odd had massive amounts of records. So I'd always go over his house and do, just start DJing. I just grabbed records I wanted to play, and I just started DJing. And, and after, I think, the third or fourth time, people were like, yeah, you should DJ. And I was like, 
I don't have enough space. Like it was always an excuse that I would make up. Like I don't have enough space. I don't want all this stuff. I don't want to haul these records around. And then I would always go to the clubs and I would always see Hire and Sony and, and, and Daz and everybody bringing all these crates of records. I'm like, I would, I would be done after the second crate. I'd be like, you know, I ain't carrying nothing. I'm done. Like whatever. And everybody's like, no, you don't have to bring all the stuff. You just bring the records and the turntables already there. I was like, I don't want to carry nothing. I don't want to just, bring, I don't want to do it. So, um, after the, after Truly Odd, um, after I moved from there, where did I move from there? Then I moved to, uh, Pico and Cochran and same thing, went to a couple of places. DJ was like, no, I'm not doing this. So, um, <laughs> when I moved to, let me think, I moved to North Hollywood and, um, this is when 9-11 happened. So everybody was kind of like in a weird place. It was like the year after that. Um, I wasn't working. I had been laid off from the labels because the labels had employed it at that point. So yeah. everybody was not signing checks and not hiring people and nothing was happening. So I went about six months and not working. So finally, um, one of my friends, she got hired as the West Coast Regional for Motown. So she hired me on the spot. She's like, I know you need some work. So come get this work. Hi, my name is Lilian Rivera, and I am an author, and uh, my latest uh, young adult novel is coming out September 15th. It's called Never Look Back. It's a retelling of the Greek myth Orpheus and Eurydice set in New York with um, Afro-Latino protagonists, characters. Um, It has bachata, it it has prince, it has love, it has angry spirits and goddess and um, all kinds of stuff. So that's it. What's up? And I was like, yay. And then um, Bill Evans hired me at Def Jam to do marketing for Dub C. So I had two checks. So I was like, whoo, nice. two checks is better than none. And it was like <laughs> literally like two days before my birthday. So I called my homeboy and I said, I want to throw myself a birthday party. And he's like, all right. He's like, well, um, he's like, if you give me 500 bucks, I'll hold the spot for you. And then you can have a birthday party. So had the birthday party. But because I was so out of touch with everybody, I didn't get to invite everybody I wanted to. So there was literally like 100 people there and the place held like 500 people. <laughs> so I was like, well, whatever. We're just going to make the best of it. So, you know, we had a good time. But the thing was, is I, I called all my DJ friends and I said, just bring a crate. Bring a crate of records. Come DJ. It was, it's, I called Penn. I called kilu i called phys ed i called um gosh who else i called like six different people and i was like just bring a crate of records and play and then you know and then we'll figure it all out you know but this is for my birthday and they're like no problem so everybody came through but everybody you know we were all drinking and you know celebrating or whatever so they had a house dj there just in case like he, yeah. he brought records and was there just in case you know anything happened he was there so he went out to get a sandwich but he left his records there Everybody else was so drunk. They DJed, did their thing, and then they left. <laughs> so there was like maybe 100 people left. No, maybe a couple. Of, I don't know. Anyway, so I went inside, and I'm drunk at this point. I'm really, I'm just, you know, celebrating. So I stagger up there, put the headphones on, dig in the bag, and I start DJing. And most of this guy's records were uh, Rockefeller in one bag and Bad Boy in another. So it's basically like a Rockefeller versus Bad Boy set. And so I'm up there, you know, and I'm doing all the motions, you know, doing the the, the doing all the motions that I've seen the DJs do with the headphones. Because I never <laughs> did it with headphones because I never had to. I was never doing a whole set. So I never yeah. had to listen. I just I was playing around. So I get up there and I start DJing. And I'm like, 
playing the records based on how I hear the other DJs playing them. I don't know what the BPMs are. I don't know yeah. what's what. I just am playing them based on what I know. Like, oh, that's Benjamin's. Oh, that's uh, I Want to Love You. Oh, that's whatever. So I'm just pulling them out and playing them. And everybody starts coming in the room because everybody's outside smoking. So there's nobody in the room at the time. I'm just like, I want people to start dancing. So I'm going to start DJing. And gradually people start coming in the room like, who's DJing right now? Is that... <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Everybody starts coming in the room like, are you DJing? And I was like, I think so. I mean, how do I sound? They're like, you're killing it. Like, you're killing it. What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm drunk. It's my birthday. I'm A. And so, and people actually started dancing. It was crazy. Like, I had the dance floor full and everybody was dancing. And I was like, this is cool. This is funny. But it was, you know, I was drunk. So I woke up the next morning like, well, that was fun. And went another, what was that? That was 2003. So I went another six years and didn't DJ. Like I was like, well, that was fun. <laughs> so 2009, no, it wasn't 2009. It was three years later, 2006. Um, at this point, uh, where I lived in North Hollywood, Spinderella lived a block away from me mm. and we had to a friend, um, and we had met somewhere else. We had met like in Lamert park somewhere. And we, um, she was like, I want to invite you to my house for a barbecue. And I was like, all right, what's your address? And she gave me her address, and I was like, "That's on the next block." Like I'm <laughs> Shut thinking, up. that street's it's a, it's a block over, but I'm thinking maybe it's down there, maybe it's up there, maybe it's you know somewhere else. And I'm like, "This is on the next block." Shut and so up. I get over there, and I say, "Dude, I live on the next block." And she's like, "What?" I was like, "I live on the block." She's like, "What?" So, um, she um called me one day, and she's like, "I need help getting organized." She's like, "Do you know of anybody that can come?" and help me organize my records and just get, she's like, I just feel like I'm out of sorts and I want to get my stuff, you know, in better order. And I was like, well, I'm over here not doing this is when I wasn't working. I'm like, I'm over here not doing nothing. So uh, let me come and help you. Yeah. And so this was after a year after that, that, that um, situation, um, Def Jam had um, finished the Dub C project and the same thing with the Motown thing The I was working on AZ's project and his project was done. So I didn't have any more work. And so I was like, well, I'm over here not doing nothing. So let me come over there and help you. I was like, what do you need help with? I was like, I'll, you know, help you the best I can. But if I know of anybody that's a professional, then I'll have them call you. And so she liked what I did. She's like, well, how about I give you a little change here and there to help me, you know, help me get my, you know, get my sets in order, help me, help me organize my records. Like I want to BPM them and I want to put them in order or whatever. And, you know, she just needed an extra hand to do it. I was like, all right. So I started helping her and that turned into a whole thing. Like I just ended up helping her stay organized and, and, you know, get herself together. But in the process of doing that, I was watching her DJ and then I was able to practice because she had turntable. So one day, um, 2000, it was about 2006, um, Pete Rock had come to town and they had grown up together. So he was over there playing PlayStation on her TV and she was cooking dinner. And I was like, well, I'm sitting here bored. I ain't got nothing to do, so let me go DJ. So I started DJing. And he's bobbing his head while, while he's playing the game. And I'm sitting there like, oh, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, we just keep playing records, you know. And um, so after, like, he just kept turning around and looking. He'd be like, yeah, hey, yeah, that's my jam or whatever. I'm sitting there like, oh, this is crazy. So after, like, the third time he turned around, he was like, yo, he paused the game and Turner looked at me. He said, yo, do you DJ? And I was like, and I didn't know how to answer that. I was yeah. like, mm, no. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, you should DJ because you, you playing all the right, you killing it right now. You playing all the right shit. He turned around and kept playing the game. And I'm like, <laughs> and I look over in the kitchen at Spinderella and she's like, 
like, hey, like, well, like, hello. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, let me think about this. And so I went home and I thought about it. I said, hmm. I said, so if I really take this seriously and start DJing. And so I asked her, I said, what do you think? She's like, well, she's like, it's not a lot of girls doing it. She's like, you know, music. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you, you got all the, you got everything that you need to do it. You just got to do it. She's like, I got turntables here if you want to use them. And, you know, so, um, the next thing I did was I called the beat junkies. I called Rhett first. I said, Rhett, <laughs> I think I want to start DJing. And he was like, go for it. He's like, what do you need? You need lessons? You need like, he's like, well, I think you know how to DJ, but what do you need? Like, let, let us know what you need. Like, I got you. Like I know. And I asked Babs and Babs said the same thing. Babs is like, you know, the music, you got the records, just do it. Like, like, what do you need? Like, you know, whatever yeah. you need, you know, if you need anything, we're here to support you, but yeah, do it. And I was like, all right, I got, I got the blessing from the masters. So I right. started doing it. So I got, I got turntables. I got, and people started giving me stuff, gave me turntables, gave me needles, gave me like, you know, anything like offered lessons. And I was like, lessons, I'm going to, I'm going to try to teach myself based on what I already know yeah. and then go from there. So I BPM'd all my records and everybody's like, you don't need to BPM your records. You just need to, I was like, ah, no. Cause if I don't BPM my records, <laughs> I won't know the speed yeah. and that, that won't, you know, so, so that's how it really started in 2006 is when I got the epiphany, like, all right, let me do it, you know, based on yeah. Pete Rock. And then the other thing was me and Dusk used to have intense conversations about music. We used to talk about stuff from other countries. We used to talk about like random ass, like we used to talk about yacht rock, like yacht um, rock, love it, Ambrosia and Sticks and all <laughs> kind of stuff. We used to talk about Willie Colon and 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 um um I can't even remember anybody's name right now, but yeah, we used to talk about Fania, Hector Laveau, and, and like he would Cuban always music, yeah, Hector, for sure, yes, Hector Laveau. and we used to talk about um, uh, Joe Batan. That's what I was trying to think of, Joe Batan, Willie Bobo. Um, we used to talk about, uh, Sergio Mendez. We used to talk about, uh, Quincy Jones. We used to talk about everything, like all kind of like weirdo stuff that people weren't into. Like, you know, I mean, he was one of the people I could talk to about Frank Zappa because I was into Frank Zappa because my uncle and everybody else thought he was a weirdo. So I'm like, at least me and <laughs> Dusk can talk about him. So when Dusk passed away in 2006, I was like, you know, there's a lot of music that yeah. nobody is ever going to hear anymore. There's a lot of music that's gonna that's just that's gone with him, like a lot of knowledge, a lot of things that are gone with him. And I'm like, there's so many DJs out here that are playing music that everybody knows, but I want to play music that nobody ever hears. I want to play music that is not w commonly known. I want to play music that's not on the because I because I don't think I'm gonna fit in with the people that are playing popular music because everybody's doing that. So yeah. if I get in, hey, I'm doing this too. It's like, yeah, but everybody's doing that. So why should you? I was like, let me make a lane for myself where I can play music that people don't hear all the time. So when I first started, I started playing um, like mostly like mellow soul and breaks and like stuff that you just stuff that you just don't hear all the time. And it was rough for me because when I finally had to start playing no brainers, I didn't know. I mean, I knew the songs, but yeah. I didn't know how to play them like everybody else did. So it was like my transitions were rough. They honestly still are to this day because it's like I don't <laughs> practice playing no brainers. I practice playing stuff that nobody knows. Yeah. So I know that stuff. I can transition that stuff way better. But when it comes to like even some Tribe Called Quest songs and the crazy thing was when Spinderella, she got a new computer when Serato started. I didn't want to use Serato. I wanted to play records, but I started getting hired for stuff that required me to use Serato mm. because it was newer stuff. Like I had to play. Sometimes I had to play Rihanna and stuff like that. And I was like, well, that stuff's not on vinyl. So 
Yeah. Um, and this was just, you know, warming up for people just playing like the first hour of a set until somebody else came. So I had to have diverse sets or whatever, but she, uh, ended up, um, selling me her computer and there was a lot of stuff missing in her computer that I had to fill in. So like, it, I liked it because it had all the stuff that I wanted to play, but like the no brainer stuff, some of that stuff was missing. I filled it in. So it was like, I would go to play mm-hmm. something be like, Oh, it's not here. Cause I didn't think to put it in there. Cause I'm like, Oh, well it's 18,000 <laughs> songs in there. It's in there. <laughs> So, but yeah, so even to this day, like, um, now I have to play more no brainer stuff and it's a little bit difficult, but I like, like the, I have a radio show on dub lab and my dub lab show yeah. is based on me playing music that is unfamiliar, like stuff that's from the past that nobody ever heard or stuff that may have been sampled or whatever, but mostly like stuff you don't hear all the time. And that's, that's what I like. So now because in 2009 was it 2009 well 2006 i started opening doing like sets in the beginning like of of people's club nights i'd play from like nine to ten and then they take off from ten to there and then um in 2000 and i'm trying to get my years together here um <laughs> 2006 or seven or eight might have been 2009 Anyway, there was a year <laughs> when Do Over was going on. Do Over had started. Yep. I think Do Over started in five or six. And um, Do Over had been going on. And I told them I wanted to play records on my birthday. And they're thinking she's just going to come and play records on her birthday. And I came and I did. That was my first set outdoors outside of my house. That was like a daytime actual gig. Because the other ones were just low key, you know, sneak in sets or whatever. So when I did Do Over, that was like my debut because people started reacting to that. And I remember the peanut butter wolf was like standing next to me, watching me play like amazed because he'd never seen the DJ before. And I was like, okay, he's staring at me. This is crazy. He's like somebody I look up to he's looking at me. And then Dave Funk showed up and then he started looking and I was like, oh wow, this is crazy. And then Jay Rawls, Jay Rawls was after me in the lineup and my birthday was the next day. And I was like, well, this is kind of my birthday set. And he's like, you, he loved what I was playing. And so it was time for me. I was only supposed to be playing for an hour and I got to the end of my crate. And he's like, no, keep going. He's like, you're killing it. Keep going. I was like, he's like, just keep going. So I had to work backwards in the set. And, you know, if you're DJing and you go through your set, you feel like I played everything. So I had to go backwards. And the BPMs, everything was BPM because I was trying to stay in order. So I had to go backwards in there. But I ended up, I played another half hour and it all worked out great. But that was crazy to have Peanut Butter Wolf, Dame Funk, and Jay Rawls watching me DJ and me. And then Rhett, and then Rhett showed up. Rhett was just like, yep. <laughs> you're doing it. it that's a, so. that's amazing and i actually made a note to even that you just did it on your own mentioned dusk it was birth today's the fourth his birthday was two days ago um mm-hmm. and i know that you guys were close and that you yeah. guys had that special bond so i it, it, it's it's awesome to hear that you know that you wanted to kind of continue his legacy of playing that type of music and you know uh it's crazy to hear you talk about, you know, the kind of music you guys could talk about because that was one of the things I loved when I was introduced to him and in the beginning and we became friends and stuff and that, you know, it wasn't just hip hop. It was everything. And it was a lot of, um, the, you know, Fania all stars, you know, the, the salsa and everything like that. And I loved it. And I was like, who is this person? Like, 
he's he's like loves everything I like and I had never met anyone you know because I was like from San Diego and I was going to Long Beach State so when I you know I was in the hip-hop scene but when I met him it was like hip-hop and salsa what the fuck like amazing um so so definitely he is missed it, it's still crazy that he's gone like it's it seems like he's really not, I don't know to me it seems like he's not gone somehow some way his spirit his spirit is still here it's crazy his spirit is definitely still you know here. what I'm saying um but speaking of like I remember you're right about that timeline because I remember I was working at House of Blues concerts down the street mm-hmm. from Amoeba. So I'd see you, you started working there, and then, then you started DJ and I was like, yo, I was getting rid of some records and I was like, give them to Mona oh, Lisa. Like I got doubles of all this <laughs> shit. Like give them like she may or may not use them, but boom. And I was like, that was natural. It wasn't like, yo, what the fuck? She's DJing? Not. Nah, it was like, of course. <laughs> it's the natural progression. Like it like, just like everyone else, it made all the sense, whether they knew you or not. It was like, okay, yeah, 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 for sure, you know? Yeah. Um, and then and then I had left there. But one of the questions, let's go to the questions from our audience. We have, um, ask her when, what was the moment or the actual gig that you feel you got your respect as a DJ? And that's from Redmatic. <laughs> Um, was it at gosh, the do-over? Um, was it at that one you just told us? Or when was it? Well, I think there's a few times. There's a few. I, I can't say that there's one because there's levels. So okay. after the do-over, um, the first gig I did after that was Firecracker. Mm-hmm. And Firecracker, if you know me, you know every Friday, every <laughs> first Friday, I was at Firecracker. You know, you know me. Every first, I was at Firecracker without fail. Was Firecracker the first and the third? I can't even remember where I sat because I was at Firecracker every time there was a Firecracker. I was there (laughs) because Firecracker was the quintessential place because you could hear any song in the world at Firecracker. Yeah. From from AC alone to Christopher Cross. You could hear anything. You know, you, you might hear... Metallica one night. I don't know. But I mean, I heard <laughs> punk there. I heard soul there. I heard oldies there. I heard everything there. So like that was my favorite place. So anyway, gushing about Firecracker. Shout out to Firecracker. <laughs> Shout out to Daryl and Lisa. Um, so when I got booked to play Firecracker, I was like, oh, I get to play at my favorite place. All this Amazing. Is. So that was, I think that was one of my favorites. I want to, I want, I don't want to say it's my number one favorite because I've had a lot of beautiful moments after that, but that was special to me. Mm. I will say that because everybody that I love showed up to support me. Mm. Everybody that was my friend, everybody that was my road dog, everybody that was my, my anything in life showed up and was Day there ones. to support me. And they were standing there waiting, like 11.55, standing by Timothy was like, oh, she about to. And none of them had ever heard me play before. Oh. They were all like, she is about to kill it. Like, she about to kill it. Like, they were waiting, like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. She's going to kill it. And I was like, you guys already, like, how do you, how do you know, like, and I'm not thinking friendships and fake, you know, I'm, I'm not thinking, you know, I'm thinking, why are you guys so enthusiastic? Like, you haven't even heard me play. They're like, we don't need to hear you play. We know what's about to happen. We know. And I was like, okay, but, you know, and I'm thinking my my skills aren't, you know, my blends or whatever. My skills aren't. They're like, dude, but just going to be you. It's going to be you playing the songs you love, the songs we love. Just just go. And Rhett was there, and J-Logic was there, and Jedi was there, and Doll One was there, 
and gosh, everybody, it was just, it was, it was amazing. And yeah, I, and I put my set together because I didn't know how Serato worked. I didn't know it that well at the time. So I put the songs in order in Serato and then I had a little piece of paper there. So I knew what order to play the songs in. I was like <laughs> super nervous, but it Love went over it. great and everybody loved it. I still have the pictures from it. And I look at them from time to time and I just crack up like, wow, this is, this is great. What year so, was that? Yeah, that was, Do you remember? that was 2009. That 2009. was the beginning of 2009. Yeah. And then right after that, I played um, Boombox. And I played Boombox later that year. But yeah, the beginning of 2009 is when I did Firecracker. Um, so um, Assad booked me for um, Soul Slam. He asked me if I would do the opening set at Soul Slam. Um, and that's the Prince of Michael Jackson party that um, happens every year. So that to me was my first official feeling like I made it kind of gig because I was opening for DJ Spinner. Yeah. And I'm like, that was like an honor in itself. I'll uh, shout out to DJ Spinner. Um, just, you know, to, to be, to open for him, to be good enough to open for him and to be in front of that kind of an audience. Yeah. That was like my, a turning point for me. So that, I think the first time I did that, I felt that way, but each year it gets more and more magical. So it's like each year that, that, that feeling is renewed. Like that's yeah. like the biggest thing for me. I mean, and I also have ended up uh, doing the wonderful parties too, which is the same. He aside does those two, which is a Stevie Wonder party. And um, but the, the something about Soul Slam that's just so like, it's just it's just got that 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 family feeling, that that good vibe, that yeah. that that thing that I love. House that's, party. I think that was it. Yeah, that's definitely um, it. it. Speaking of Assad, let's go back to the questions from the audience. We have. <laughs> Um, the question is, when will, this is from Assad, uh, AKA the hater inside joke, um, <laughs> from footlong development. He's the one that she spoke of that does the soul slams and the wonderfuls and just, I mean, just some, he's brought some of the most amazing events here to LA. His question is, uh, when will you start sharing with your audience, all of your experience you've been through in LA in this LA music scene? Because he told me, he's like, no disrespect to you, but she keeps going on other people's podcasts and telling her stories. And I keep, he's like, she's going to hate me for this. And I was like, I'm going to ask her. <laughs> well, there's, okay. So I can, I can, I can be 100 with you and tell you the reason. And hopefully he can understand what I'm saying. Okay. Um, in all that, that I told you when I was talking about being a, being a girl in the scene and, and all that, there was a lot of painful stuff that happened. A lot of. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff that I don't like to relive, a lot of stuff that I don't like to talk about. But it's like every story that I would tell you about something that happened back then, there's a bad part. Mm. There's a there's a negative part. There's a part that is not pleasant. So like for you to ask me, it's easy for me to tell you. But for me to say it myself, for me to say, oh, let me tell you guys a story about it doesn't it's not the same. It, it, it hits different. It feels different. And it comes out different. So I would rather use my space to um, talk about music that nobody's heard before, you know, to educate people and tell them about stuff like that, as opposed to try to talk about something that I'm not comfortable talking about. That I mean, there's some stories sense. I can tell that with a smile on my face, I can say, oh, there's time we were in <laughs> unity and, and I jumped up and, and Red Man was in front of me and then I got passed over the crowd and dropped on the floor. I could talk about that. <laughs> I had to talk about... Um, Another time in Unity where somebody grabbed me or something and I just, you know, it's just, a, it's a lot. So yeah, that's why I don't freely talk about it myself. 
but it's much easier for me to talk about stuff if someone interviews me. So his next question might be, well, why don't you get somebody to interview you? It's like, it's not, it's not that easy. It's just, (laughs) it's more so like, I feel comfortable talking to you and there's other people I feel comfortable talking to. And it's just, there's a time and a place for it. I think that makes sense. That makes sense. There it is, Assad. There it is. I hope it happens, Assad. <laughs> he's not. He's not going to be happy, but it's fine. That's that's just what it. Is. Um. Okay. One. One. The last question from the questions of the audience is: Is there a particular mix that works in your head, but you haven't been able to make it happen the same way in real life? If so, why do you think that is, and what are the records? And this is by your friend, Raka. <laughs> uh shout out to Raka. Um a particular mix is in like is in two particular songs or is there Okay. I yeah, so, I don't know. He just I, says it, it doesn't say, work in your works in your head but doesn't work in real life, I guess. No, I would say every time I, that happens like there's there'll, there'll be something that'll pop up in my head and I'll think about it and I'll put it in my computer and I'll put I'll put like a experiment I have an experiment uh folder and I'll throw the two songs in the experiment folder so I don't forget them and then later on I'll try it and it usually works 99.9 percent of the time I can't think of a time where it hasn't worked um but sometimes it's very strange it'll be like okay I'm trying to mix these two songs together like there's one where it's um the theme for the white shadow and boogie on reggae woman like I'm trying to mix those two together and it works, but it doesn't. But it's like there's certain parts that work beautifully and certain parts that don't because they're they're similar, but they're not. So it's like it's it's all experimental. I would say it's yeah. just experiment. So sometimes I experiment with stuff and it works and sometimes I experiment with it and it doesn't. So it just depends. But there's never been a fail. If, if that's the question, there's never been a fail where there's been a mix that didn't work that I was kept trying to do. It's like once it doesn't work, I just I just forget about it. OK. Nice. All right. I, you know, I totally appreciate the time. I know you, like, I only have you for a little bit. I kind of already went over it, but do you have time for the not so rapid fire questions, the AKA slow as hell questions? Yes. <laughs> so I do. Okay. I'm scared, but I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> the first one is just, it's super simple. Three words to describe yourself. Um, Jesus. Um, <laughs> uh, blessed. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let me think. Uh, I mean, I could say happy, but that's... Yeah. Blessed, happy, and um, grateful. There blessed, it is. Happy. Love it. Love it. Okay, number two. What's the best piece of, of advice you've ever received? Um, from my grandfather, learn to give to people without expecting anything in return and be grateful for everything that you have. Love it. Wise words of wisdom. That's real. And a lot of people forget that shit. A lot of people forget that shit. Um, especially, I mean, you know, a theme that we have when I talk to people, whether their parents or not is, you know, what we learned growing up the way we did in the time we did. I feel like we're super blessed. It was kind of hard, but there's lessons learned that you 
we wouldn't have been able to replicate if we didn't grow up in that time, in that environment, under certain circumstances. You know what I'm saying? Like, we talk about how do we... Uh, how, how does a supernatural bear, how do I teach him street smarts when he doesn't live in the streets? <laughs> like, you know, like, like shit like that. But I feel like, especially the fact that we were in the mu- in, in entertainment industry, first and foremost, right? But then you go a, another level deeper, the music industry, and then you go another level deeper, hip hop. We right. learned a lot of hard fucking lessons <laughs> in life, quick, fast, at a young age, um, that, are are in like valuable for days like for life you know um and we learned like uh you know like i feel like it's a similar to like if you can make it in new york you can make it anywhere if you can make it in the rap business <laughs> you can make it i mean we saw we saw so many things from hip hop we saw hip hop go from being underground and unappreciated to being on the radio 24 hours a day and yeah. it's like we you know it was it was hip hop was not supposed to last this long Hip hop nah. was a fad. Hip hop was something that was like, oh, that's what they're doing now. It's not. It's going to go away in a couple of years. It's not going to. Nobody's going to take it seriously. And now there's people making millions and millions of dollars off of it, on the backs of the people that made the hip hop. They didn't make so much money, but now those people, you know, other people are making millions of dollars. We were the first people to, you know, hear some styles of rap. You know, some just it's just so much that's unappreciated now because it, that time has passed, but we were the ones that got to see the special moments of it. And that's, what's, what's beautiful. Yeah. No one can ever take that away from us. I always think like we're so lucky. Like we, we didn't have the computers, but we had the computers. We didn't have the cell phones. We had the cell phones. We, we got mm-hmm. to be there, whether we were hella young or whatever, when, when, um, <laughs> when, um, hip hop started, um, and just seeing the evolution, you know, of, of it all. It, it's a beautiful thing. And we, I can talk to my, I've mentioned this before on here too. I could talk to my 20 something year old godson about the same genre of music. Like we don't have that gap, you know, that, that, that disconnect of like, well, my, my music is different from your music. It's a little bit different, but it's based in hip hop. Like you love some shit that started, you know, like we saw the, the beginnings of it. So I feel like we're, we lived through some tough shit, but I feel like we're super fortunate uh, for it. Um, next question. What are you doing to dismantle the patriarchy? Um. <laughs> every time, every time. It doesn't matter who. It's like, whoa. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Um, I think Mona, for you, you, you do it by everything you told us, everything that you've (laughs) been doing since jump, you live by example. You've been doing, you've been doing to dismantle the patriarchy. You know what I'm saying? Like take being the first doing these different types of roles. You know what I'm saying? Like showing any, you sound like you come from a big family showing anyone in your family, young or old, what is possible? You know, being the first, being one of the few. I think I just, I mean, it's basically what you just said, but no, I, <laughs> I, um, I try to be the best person that I can be. Not, I mean, the best woman, but the best person just yeah. because 
I feel like everybody would be under so much less pressure if they just try to do their best instead of trying to be better than everybody else yeah. or trying to be the best. Just do your best. Do your and best. if your best is, is, is so-so one day and your best is awesome the next, that's, that's, that's all you can do is just do your best. And, you know, again, I have to give that credit to my grandfather because he instilled a lot of good traits in all of us. You know, he just was like, you know, you're, you're, you're only as good as you can be. You're only, if you, if you don't have it in you, you can't, you can't get it from anywhere. It's got to be inside of you and you just have to give what you can. And, you know, again, give what you can without expecting anything in return, but just do your best and be the best person that you can be. And we all have faults, but don't beat yourself up because we're all human. And, you know, you learn every day, you learn something different that's going to carry you on to the next day. And that's pretty much. Yeah, that's real. That's good advice. Um, second to last question. And this is going to be a good one because of who you are, and what you do. Song to get you hyped when you need it. What's your go to? Your number one. Your number one. Number one song to get me hyped. Um, Thighs High by Tom Brown. I'm sorry. What was that? It's called Thighs High. It's by Tom Brown. Okay, I'm not familiar. It's a party song. It's it's you'll you'll know it if you hear it. You probably heard it a thousand times, but didn't know it's called Thighs High. <laughs> but it's a it's a it's a party song. But it just it it's it's I don't know how to describe it, but it's just it's uplifting. <laughs> it's okay. about moving your thighs. But it's uplifting, <laughs> and it just it just it brings something you know brings something out in me. I play it almost every time I DJ. And I remember I was watching somebody do a DJ set a couple of months ago and they said that it was cliche. I was like, listen, it can be as cliche if it wants to, but <laughs> I'm going to play the song. And so my ears started bleeding because I love it. But it's just, it's, it's, it's just a party song. It's just a, and I, and I remember reading the, uh, reading the story about it being recorded and it was just like fun. It was just like, we're just going to have fun and do this song. And I don't remember uh, the story of how the concept of the name of the song came up, but it just, the whole recording of the song was a party. And that's what it sounds like when the song plays. So if I'm in a bad mood or just, you know, feeling like I need something to get me off my ass, I play thighs high and and my thighs go high. <laughs> I start dancing. So that's, that's love it, it. Thighs high. I love it. And the final question, Mona Lisa, what will be your legacy? Um, I think my legacy will be, um, that I worked hard and that I stayed true to myself. Um, and that I, um, was a great educator as far as music, as far as life lessons. Um, yeah, that's, um, strong woman I was a strong woman I am a strong woman (laughs) yeah I didn't let anything I've never let anything uh get in the way of that as far as like male female I just did me and yeah hope for the best so I think being a strong woman and an educator um music educator and um well life educator too yeah and hardworking. that's real Mona Lisa Murray, thank you so much for taking the time. 
I want to have you back on if you if you allow it. Like, you know, we're ending 2020 and I want to have you back on to talk even more about music. But let the people know. I'm going to have it in the show notes, but let the people know your handles on where they can catch you and get more information and to find it. I'm going to have links to all your show to your show and stuff like that. But let the people know how they can get a hold of you. Okay. Um, social media. I'm on Instagram. It's uh, Mona Lisa 7872. Um, also Twitter, seven eight Mona Lisa 7872. Twitch, uh, which will be set up hopefully in the next 30 days. Please uh, Mona Lisa 7872. <laughs> um, that's basically my handle on all of my social media is um, Mona Lisa 7872. Um, I am on Facebook, but I'm not really on there a lot. So Facebook is not right. important. Um, it's focused but- on Right. And before we leave, have you have you started had thoughts about writing about your life? People, a lot of people want me to do that. Oh, before we go on. Um, yes. What did I forget? I forgot. I forgot about my Dublab show. I have oh, a yes, show yes, yes, on yes. Dublab. This is the show that Assad was talking about that he just wants me to talk about stories instead of playing music. Um, it's on <laughs> Dublab.com. It's every third Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. And it's called Paths of Rhythm. Um, and that's yeah, eight to 10 PM PST. And if you don't get to listen to the show live, you can stream the older episodes. It's been on there for four years. Um, it's on dublab.com. I have my own DJ page. And if you go down the page, you can see all the old shows. Dope. Uh, some of them I do talk on, but most of them are DJ mixes. So in the future, um, I'll be doing one hour of song by song with talking in between, and then I'll do one hour of mixing. But I'm getting to that. So nice. I'm a work in progress. Right, right. <laughs> so going back to people have asked you what like for for you to write a book or for movie rights or what are we talking about? All of it? Everybody wants me to write a story about my experience in the music business. Um, there's it's, it's just a lot. You know, as I was saying before, yeah. there's a lot of, of of bad things to cut through. There's like a lot of charcoal and there's diamonds buried underneath it so Mm. it's just a matter of me being able to get to a point where I can sift through all of that and make a story that I think is worthwhile Um, I'm not saying my story isn't worthwhile but I have to make it make sense and sort through it and you know be able to build the stories because there's so many stories I can tell that are just random random happening this happened in the club this happened at this party this happened at the show or whatever but in order to I think to write a good book it has to have a journey and a story and you know there's ups and downs and you know twists and turns so I would just have to figure that out but there's also a lot of things that I can't put in the book because somebody will come after me so <laughs> I gotta figure that out too but I mean it, it's it's you know it could happen it 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 you know it's I'm not gonna say no but it's not the first thing on my mind right now the first thing on my mind right now is getting my DJ career uh in order to survive the times that we're in to figure that out and then we'll see what happens well, i think ex- i have some more travel to do so. yeah once once it's allowed once it's safe um and i'm excited you know for for your twitch like i i need to see more 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 women on there i follow some people that i love um so i'm excited for your twitch to be up up and running and start getting you you know those subs i'm just learning yes. i'm like what i was like what is this what how do i and someone was like trying to get me to they were trying to give me something and I was like I don't understand <laughs> like what does this mean and I'm like I was like oh now I'm like oh 
these things. I was like, it's crazy. I love it. Um, I was on the for like a month, like just watching, like, okay, what's going on here? What is that? What? And I didn't touch anything. I just watched, like, okay, what is? Oh, so then, oh, okay. And then I would go and poke on stuff and look and be like, oh, that's oh, okay. So then once I got active, I was just like, bam, 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 bam. I started doing everything. And I was like, and I had to go because the the crazy part, and not to get on the side, but. Um, you have to go on the website to figure Twitch out. You can't do it on your phone. So yeah. I'm on my phone like, well, how come? And this is not letting me. How the hell? And so once I went to the website, it's like, welcome to Twitch. We're about to show you how to do all this. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. So they actually walk you through it when you go to the website and it teaches you everything. Like, this is how you do this. And this is how you do that. And I was like, why didn't I come here in the first place? Because we're so programmed to be on our phones. Yeah, I thought the phone was going to show me the light and the phone didn't show me nothing. So once I got on the website, I was like, oh, this is so I was able to put my whole page together just based on, you know, seeing all the back end of it. And then now I have one hundred and five followers that are waiting for me to do something. So like the pressure's off. So I'm like, OK, let me. I got followers just from being in the chat room, just from having my page set up. So I'm like, OK, let me get my stuff together. So it's coming. Nice. Well, I can't wait. Well, Mona Lisa, thank you so much. You're the bestest. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. <laughs> and now, introducing the Supernatural Bear Corner. Supernatural Bear. Bear. Hello, everyone. It is SNV right here. Um, I'm here in the recording studio, aka the closet. <laughs> and Auntie Mona Lisa, this is a song that you requested. Hey, Mona Lisa, can I get a date on Friday? And if you're busy, I wouldn't mind taking Saturday. Yay, 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 Round up the posse Fuji's coming around the way. Yeah, pretty much it. Um, I'm also here to say some stuff. So, we have a, now we have a Patreon. Page? Patreon page. So, be, Become a patron today. Um, it's pretty cool being a patron. I uh, a patron. 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 <laughs> sorry. 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 Uh, typo. Typo in the house. Typo. <laughs> I'm reading a script. You're not reading a script. Yes, I am. You're not. You're freestyling. Uh, no script. Yeah, I am. Oh my goodness. Okay. Anyway, back to the script. Anyway, become a Patreon today. Patreon today. Patreon. Uh, <laughs> And tell them to buy stuff from the store. And buy all the new um stuff from the store. Tilt bags, pins, all that stuff. Where's your mom? Tilt bags. Lemonade was a popular drink and still is. Tilt bags. I don't know if they're on there, but yeah. Um, tea towels. Oh, yeah. Sorry, tea towels. Uh, and remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Those are um tea towels. Yep. And also check out the pins. The Prince pin. Um, Stevie Wonder. the Stevie Wonder pin, and also my Voltron pin as well. Anyway, bye. Should we do? That is correct. Episode fourteen is over. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Mona Lisa Murray. Go check her out on all the socials, on the Twitch. Is it the Twitch? <laughs> Woo. 
was that little old right there <laughs> on the Twitch? <laughs> on Twitch, on Um And when when she'd safe again, sweat it up at Motown Mondays and wherever else she's spinning. But uh, yeah, man, good one, good one. Uh, and Supernatural Bear, I mean, next level. Believe me, there's no script. Uh, that's freestyle, and he just likes to harass his mama, <laughs> as you can see the past couple episodes. But uh, yeah, thank you so much. I uh, hope you guys are out there doing whatever you can to flip these two Senate seats um, and anything else we need to do in Georgia to make proper shit happen, proper change happen. And uh, like the Supernatural Bear said, check us out. Patreon page, there's a link, uh, bio in the link, link in bio. And uh, you can donate directly. You could also leave reviews, spread the word, all that good stuff. So let's see. Um, I'm thinking we might take a week break for the holiday and then relatives to end out the year and then the bonus with the Supernatural Bear and I, and the, I think that's better, maybe. Bring in the new year, you know, get that new year energy, see what, what's going down. But thanks again. I really appreciate all the support. Um, been doing it since September 10th, and it's been nothing but love, and I love doing this. So if you want to continue to support uh, Diverse Voices, let's do it. Thanks. We reap. Word to Your Mama is only produced by Rich P. Intro Beat, produced by none other than Nico Beats. And Word to Your Mama is always brought to you by RitchyP.com, DoinSharp.com, and PanoplyBPO.com.